Ladies and gentlemen, you know him as the co-founder and big boss man of Spawn on Me, the premier podcast spotlighting people of color in the video game industry. And right now, you can donate towards their GoFundMe page to help get the crew out to industry events like PAX and E3, plus the Spawn for Good initiative and efforts to support writers and content creators of color. I've got Khalif Adams here. Khalif, how you doing? You made me sound so important. I feel I feel like I I should like walk out on a stage somewhere and like wave to people with a with a like closed my, hand, kind of the, the presidential wave. Yeah, my my dream though, whether it's me or just someone I love, I want them to do what Hideo Kojima did like three E threes ago, uh, like <laughs> during his like second bout of promoting uh, uh, Death Stranding. They had him walk down that lighted stage, like lighting up as he walked down like some glam rocker. And then to top it off, they had uh, the music from Mad Max Fury Road. The I'm just like, are you shitting me? Oh my God. My, do you have a favorite Kojima moment besides that one? Like public moments? Public or anything. Have you, have you been close to Kojima yet? I have not like been in the same room. I do not think. No. Okay. Have you? Yes. So I think it was like two E threes ago, and it was the one. It was the time when uh, Jeff Keighley was doing the um, the arena, but it was like before they moved it to like the W Hotel down in Lower in, in, in downtown LA. It was like mm-hmm. right after the the Sony press conference, and it was this really big thing that they have for the press. They had this like crazy donut wall, which is now the thing that PR companies do, which I don't understand because it's full of germs anyway. But it's uh he was in that room. He had finished interviewing Kojima and everyone kind of started to kind of move towards him. This was like, hey Kojima, it'd be nice to say hello, da 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 da. It's the first time I've ever seen someone be treated like a politician or even like a president where he got bum rushed by security. They threw a drape over his ass and they ran him outside of the building. It was amazing. For, for like a Japanese developer of like Metal Gear Solid, you know, I mean, uh, which is like a big popular franchise, but is super niche in its own way, uh-huh. I guess, still. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong. I've, I've got the special collector's edition of MGS5 back there. I've got the, the Devil Dog insignia all over, but... I love man. I, love I yeah. Some, I don't know some some Kojima and some Metal Gear, but I was like, Kojima's not that important. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> he doesn't deserve or need to be shrouded in humans and then rushed out of a building. But I think if I if I interviewed Hideo, I would not even talk to him about Metal Gear. I'd just be like, What are you watching lately? Like yeah. what movies? Because he's always tweeting about like the Blu-rays and shit he buys. Yeah, I feel like he must do really good drugs though. Oh, he's got to do really good drugs. A small Japanese man like that. I mean, just the stuff Probably. that comes out of his brain. Like De- Death Stranding has to be from drugs. Like it can't just be this over the top. We have no idea what's going on in this story. <laughs> kind of mechanical arm people are touching you while you get murdered by the darkness. That's drugs. Doing, doing doing drugs and then like watching the end of Evangelion like four times in a row. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not even saying that it has to be like really hard drugs. That could just be really good weed. It's not it has to, it doesn't have to be like super <laughs> magical. Like oh, somebody's like doing you know cocaine or doing meth. It's like you could do just really good weed or shrooms and just be like, yo, I had this dream where Norman Reedus came with me and I was hanging out with him and we were talking and doing stuff and then this thing just come out, came out of the ground and tried to grab me yeah I, that sounds like weed I'm just saying 
I, I, I am ashamed to say that I was texting a friend a day or two ago and I was like, hey, do you want to hang out on Saturday? And he's like, can't, man. Sorry, it's a national holiday. And I'm like, oh, what are you, like Easter? You don't celebrate Easter. And he's like, and then I connected it five seconds later, 420. I was like, God, I'm such a, I'm such a straight little straight edge boy. Straight edge, I'm not, man. I'm a straight edge. Come to, come to, come to Portland. I, I got you. Oh boy. Anyway. So we're, we're, we're here to talk today about Spawn on Me, uh, which has been going on uh, by my count six years. Yeah, we're we're about to we're about to hit six Jeez, man. soon. Um, I think your podcast is entering in kindergarten or something. Yeah, basically, it's like we we need, we need some money for daycare at this point <laughs> to make sure that the baby <laughs> is doing okay. Um, Vote for me, and I'll give you podcast childcare. Yes, <laughs> seriously, <laughs> we need it for real. So yeah, yeah so six, yeah. the 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 2019 2020 uh, kind of funding drive has started. Uh, you guys are asking for about 17 grand. Uh, yep. I guess first off, give me for those of uh, the 1099 fans who may not know, what is Spawn on Me and what do you guys aspire to do? So I think the the elevator pitch is basically like we are a kind of generalist podcast, a gaming podcast that the twist and, and kind of niche that we that we rein in is that we want to spotlight people of color in the industry and kind of showcase and share the stories of mm-hmm. gaming and why it's important to them through their prism. We want to make sure that marginalized folks are seen and that they have the ability to, you know, have the, the conversations that we all do when we're in our PSN chats or Xbox live chats kind of come to the forefront so that we can talk about them and bring in other folks to, to flesh those conversations out. So that's you know, folks that we know that are developers, you know, up and down the line, anything from indie devs to, you know, folks who are at the, the top of the game as well. Uh, we want to incorporate them into the conversations that we have and also, you know, talk about issues that we care about in our communities and, and others as well. So we've been doing that for six years now, and it's it's been something that we've taken so much pride in being able to feel like we were a part of the initial thrust of the conversations around diversity in, in the gaming industry in, in a real way with us and not your mama's gamer uh, being one of the other shows that kind of started that process and that conversation and we've been rocking pretty hard we're trying to continue to keep going and and, and bridging those conversations and get bigger so that we can have more folks on the show and, and and even spread those conversations out to more people and to get into more people's ears and and, and vision so yeah i was i was watching a uh your appearance on kind of funny games daily last year uh for mm-hmm. last year's gdc and you and Greg were talking and you mentioned something like, yeah, like five to 10 years ago, it was pretty much just like in guy crawl and one other guy. And I'm like, shit, he's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's really, it's really remarkable to like think back how not long ago that was. No. To be honest, you know, in terms of video game podcasts and in terms of the industry, it hasn't really gotten that much better in terms of, you know, how you want to, how you want to visualize what you think, you know, progress looks like. I personally think that progress is not just only getting more people into, you know, positions of power when it comes to behind the scenes. I think visibility is super important and and you need folks who are in front of camera, who are the people who, when you have your, you know, your game development story or you have your launch, be the folks who are either, you know, showcasing and debuting your game or when you have a big mm-hmm. conference like E3, you want those folks to be the ones who are on stage kind of showcasing and sharing out what the vision is for your for your console or for your next game um, because those are the people that when I think about them they have always been the ones that I was like oh wow like I remember Engai being on game trailers with Jeff Keighley 
and and being that amazingly smart and eloquent cat who would just come out of nowhere with some really dope stuff and you would be like oh i want to be that dude like i think i can be that guy or that or that person or that woman or that or that or that person it's like you want to be able to to be able to see those folks um and it means a lot not having those people in those places just um dilutes the message in 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 some ways we want wins that we can see wins that we can see is very very important and I, I just got finished talking with uh, Susan Eisenberg, the the voice of Wonder Woman, which will be the the episode after this week's for those of you who want to tune in for that. Uh, and we were talking about, uh, you know, of course, female representation in geek media, which is another like you know, marginalized uh, and and slowly growing kind of uh, uh, representation in the industry. And I always I always got to wonder. Yeah, the the it's important to see people like spawn on me, um, at least having these conversations, even if it's just a general show, like if you can have a general conversation about the PlayStation 5 or just this week's news, but from the perspective of someone who is a person of color or another marginalized community, that's important for people, for like young people to see. And inevitably someone will come along 10, 15 mm-hmm. years from now and be like, yeah, I remember when there were uh, I, I watched Spawn on me, and there was Khalif, uh, you know, telling it uh, how how he saw it, and that gave me a bit of boost to see it. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, there were people who I looked up to in the space before Spawn on me was ever a thing. When I was trying to write long form <laughs> prose and trying to get everything <laughs> on my old blog to to kind of pop and, and, and get into the industry that way. I mean, I personally think that besides the visibility part, you know, conversations around ownership of your art, um, being able to say that you stake a claim in a particular industry is important. Um, I, I hope that, you know, that we are inspiring, you know, young black kids, people of color, marginalized folks to do this kind of work. Um, I, I know that the people who, when I initially started to get into this industry, Folks like, you know, Amy Hennig or Robin, Robin Hunnicky or, you know, um, um, Adam Sessler. I, 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 talk, I tell that story all the time about how seeing Adam Sessler's Bioshock interview or I'm sorry, review uh, when he was doing stuff on X-Play that like changed my life. That, that conversation of seeing someone be that smart and, 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 and spit game in the way that he did, like opened my eyes up to me being that nerdy kid who was like afraid of showing that I was smart that I could do that while also kind of touching the the thing that I love the most and, and that's games. So it's like, there are so many people who, you know, inspire every other, other folk to do that kind of work. And we need to be able to one, see that stuff. But also if we're not showcasing those folks, you'll never know who mm-hmm. they are. If you're not talking about them in real ways and interviewing them and telling the stories of, you know, when they had their not game job and then they found their game job, um, you know, it gives people hope that are struggling to try to get into this business to say that, oh, you can do this stuff. There is a pathway for you. You don't have to just be the person who's making the game. You can be the person who is running that camera at that studio. You can be the person who's making the concept art. You can be the person who's putting those production packages together. Um, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of conversations about various different parts of the industry, but also it's a big part about the conversation about what what the cultural impact is to the space. And it's the thing that I that I have been trying to figure out a good way to rally people around and say, you know, we know that 
the conversation around race is very, 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 very um, uh, uh, pointed, and it's and it's it's gotten to a place where you can't really have conversations about race without people getting upset. Um, a lot of a lot of folks don't want to kind of poke at the the history of where we are and how we got here, but it's like I see often various levels of culture vulturism in the space where you know we cough see cough Fortnite those yeah things kind of. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like those things have been tacked, have been snatched in, in various ways. And I feel like if you look at the way that pop culture moves, if you look at the way that entertainment moves, black culture is a is, is, is part of a quote unquote dominant culture in that space, mm-hmm. right? And gaming culture has not embraced that in a real way except for Black History Month. And they do that kind of, sort of. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like when you see McDonald's do Black History Month commercials, you're like, yeah. I get it, but also, where were you for the other 11 months of the year? So I'm saying that those things that we bring to the table and through our prism, we can use those things as ways to kind of build upon the space and, again, show that, you know, the things that we bring to the table have worth. And once you do that, then things change a lot in various different ways, and I think that's the most important part. And you raise a you raise a really interesting point a minute ago about uh, seeing – Someone like In Guy on game trailers with Jeff Keighley, and and or uh, or Adam Sessler reviewing Bioshock in a really intellectual way, or at least intellectual compared to what had come before, uh, and how right. that that pushed you to show that like yes, you a a uh, younger black man can present a an, an intelligent. You shouldn't be afraid to show off your intelligence in this kind of industry. Um, and I think right. we still struggle with that to a really uh, significant degree, right? Um, I, I, at oh, least in, yeah. from my experience, I feel like a lot of the like younger uh, people of color, writers or video makers, um, sometimes when they start to interact or butt heads with power brokers at like larger publications or, or anywhere else, they might get like siphoned off into like, well, we really need someone to do like the sports genre or like we need someone we need someone <laughs> right. to to fulfill a, a, a quota and like not actually paying much attention to like these systematic problems in, in the industry. Right. Oh, yeah. It's like I, I've, I've heard conversations about like basically why brown people should only really cover, especially young black men and women should just cover sports, should just cover fighting games, should just cover you know why don't you just do 2k and madden that's the stuff that we want to hit mm-hmm. you with as opposed to like why can't you play this other game that other people play because you've played it anyway because you are a person who likes to play games um yeah i think that that's a part of the conversation i feel like there are still power structures in the gaming industry that like to see the the easiest version of blackness the the ones that we commonly see in in the most stereotypical ways and i feel like you know blackness is a spectrum and you know you can't define it it's not a monolith so you have to make sure that you're tapping into all the layers of that or all the other layers of the community that you come from and have those things be shown and be displayed and, and be valued in the gaming industry in a real way. And we've seen a lot of pushback from, you know, folks in our circles. Um, I, I flag my social justice flag very, very high yeah. because I understand that there is a need for those conversations to happen. And there's a need for those people to be as visible as possible but oh yeah i've heard and seen conversations you know at various events where people have kind of given folks the like well why don't you just kind of dance for me conversation not to me personally but to other people i've seen it and 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 sometimes folks don't know their worth and they're like i will do it 
because I want to get in. And I'm like, that I'm too old for that at this some point. of this uh some of this reminds me of a friend i had back at ball state uh mr brandon pope uh he was the uh he was uh, maybe a year older than me um a stocky black man and he was the president of like the ball state chapter of uh national association of black journalists and uh he i last i checked in he works uh for an abc affiliate a lovely job you know anchoring like regional news probably making really good money um although right. i i remember i i seem to remember he had a lot of he definitely code switched and like thinking back oh, yeah. on on the ways that he probably had to code switch uh and for people who don't know code switching is essentially think of you don't talk to your grandma the way you talk to your your friend but also then think about that in like a a, a <laughs> racial context uh uh would a person of color talk to a cop the same way you know they they talk to a friend or or anything like that or like talk to an employer the same way they might naturally want to talk um seeing right. him uh present himself in a very code switched way on like regional nightly news um when i i i've hung out i hung out with him enough to know that like eh, that's that's not you but um do you do you see <laughs> any code switching uh in games media because it games media itself is like mm. a pretty we're allowed to be a little more personable and free with our our language here um but i i wonder if code switching happens in the games industry like that well, I think I think kind of bouncing off your your um, your comment, it's it's a part of what you need to do. It's not just in the games media; it's in every facet of your life. If you're a person of color, mm-hmm. especially, or if you're from a marginalized group, um, I think the interesting parts about it is that one, it's still a thing that folks don't understand as not it's 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 interesting to see when folks who don't understand it how they define it which has been really fun to kind of like sit back and watch in my my big wicker chair sometimes <laughs> i'm just like all right tell me tell me how you define code switching and i'm like look code switching because i have to do it at work i've moved I, I, I work at intel now and i code switch all the time i'm in a more comfortable state because the people who i who hired me know what I've done in the industry prior to that. So they know they're not getting some new version of Khalif every time when they, when I come into the office and I talk about, you know, whom, whom, whomever got shot at, you know, whatever hashtag that wind up being mm-hmm. that day or um, whoever, you know, whatever conversation happened when we talk about, you know, toxic behavior in the industry and things like that, they know who they're getting when they have that conversation. But when I step out of that space, and talk to other people in the company or I talk to other folks in the gaming industry, you may get a different version of Khalif that you may not have seen before, but those are all me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those parts don't, those parts aren't different phases or layers of me. I'm sorry, not different versions of me, I should say. They're different necessary parts of my personality that I need to use to maneuver, to to, to be safe, um, to to speak to multiple uh, uh, demographics and multiple audiences. Um, It's one of the things that when I think about code switching the most, I think about it in terms of what I have to do because basically right now in terms of spawn on me stuff, I do a lot of the kind of day-to-day tasks. So I'm, I'm producer, I am social media manager, I am biz dev, I am all those things. And depending upon who I'm talking to, 
you will get whatever version that you need to get the thing done that I need to get done. <laughs> so, so it's like, and those are all parts of me. And I, I don't feel like people, when they, when they talk to me, they, they get, um, very drastic versions of that conversation. Cause I try to continue to be my most genuine self and, and, and none of the versions that I, that I, that I put out in the world are, are, are disingenuous or not fully me. Um, but you have to do it. It's, it's a part of, you know, when I put down my video game hat, code switching keeps me mm -hmm. safe. You know what I mean? And it lets me talk to people in different ways, which is beautiful. And I think it's a talent that a lot of people don't get, uh, don't get credit for because you have to be able to do it. Marketing agents do it all the time. They make di various different versions of decks and campaigns. And, you know, it's the same reason the McDonald's does that stuff, you know, during Black History Month. They're code switching, but they're doing it really badly. And they're Corporate doing it code money. switching. Yeah, no, I, that's, a, that's a valid yeah. point. Yeah, like the companies do it all the time. You know, we just, we just, we're so used to seeing how badly they do it that it comes off as, as really being kind of plastic and fake. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a part of the, the reason that you see, you know, folks who are in higher up positions, um, you, you can have those moments when you shake a person's hand in kind of the usual way that you're used to it. And then you see somebody two minutes later, talk to someone of a, of a, of a common background and they dap them up. They give them, yeah. you know what I mean? You give them a, you give them a different handshake and because it's a part of the way that, that, that common knowledge is built. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a talent. You raise an interesting point too about you the wearer of many hats uh and and your your depending on like what time of the day or like what is needed you might get a a, a different but still the same uh caliph and one of the yeah. things that i feel like i hear and and read a lot from uh, uh a variety of ages of people of color who work in in creative media is that because they're often not afforded the same support systems or networks uh, that more privileged people might be, is that, to put it simply, they're just more exhausted and that they have to exert more more mental and physical and creative energy, and then they end up yeah. kind of coming into things at a deficit. Do you have thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's harder... <laughs> <laughs> the 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 kind of thing that I lean on sometimes, and I've said this before in the past, is um, there's that uh, age old adage that comes out of many many communities of color that you have to work twice as hard to get half yeah. as far uh, to get things done. Um, and there's parts of that that you see um, in all aspects of gaming. Um, like you can just look at the way that the current um, conversation around streamers has been kind of kind of place you see ninja in this top times 100 most time influential people 100. yeah and i'm like ninja couldn't get away with half the shit that he gets away with if he was black like he just yeah. couldn't like he couldn't he couldn't have done it when he was you know beginning in the in the days of halo and he couldn't do it now if he wanted to change up what he was and i think that the interesting part of that is like i know that things will be equal when you, you remember that MTV show Jackass? Mm -hmm. Oh, dude, I, I love the movies. I, I I absorbed that quite efficiently as a kid. Yes, yeah, same, right? And I, and I, it's funny because I wear that hat every day where I'm like, the thing that I think most people of color, most marginalized folks ask themselves often and every day is, the things that they see in the world, could they get away with that as being themselves and still be marketable? Mm -hmm. And I, my, my thing is, my joke is, I was like, if you had Jackass come out at the same time, two versions, 
one with the cast that we already know and love, and then another one that was just full of brown people, which one would you think would already make it, and which one would you think would make more money? Of course, it would be the one with the original cast, because the other folks, the, the folks usually in the marketing room would think that the f folks who were in those in those brown bodies were supposed to act that way, as right. opposed to them putting it on for, you know, for, for monetary gain. So, you know, the conversation changes a lot when I pitch us to different companies to for sponsorships and some of course a lot of that is based on metrics i will absolutely say that you know we're not we're not pulling in kind of funny numbers we're not pulling in numbers that like crazy uh, uh, amounts of of downloads every every week or every month because we are so niche but i also feel like in that same respect we are a very niche podcast speaking to a very niche mm -hmm. audience that spends money so it's not like we're not marketable to people we're marketable to a very big audience. If you've seen how much money Black Panther makes, you know that we are a marketable segment of the you can find You can find the Shuri Halloween costumes at like Target and like, yes. yeah. Yes, but as soon as you say, hey, we are serving this community that is black, is black, brown, you know, then people are like, well, hmm. We don't know if that kind of conversation or those kinds of you know dollars should be going to those to those kinds of conversations and it changes the way that you have to market yourself changes the way that you have to think about you know your viability it changes the way that you have to think about the taxes that you need to use to get into spaces um so it's the reason why like that last year gdc i was trying to do everything everywhere at the same time uh because you have to just get in front of enough people that you're able to kind of build that momentum so that hopefully people will remember that a year mm -hmm. from now or you know a year from then um so yeah you have to you know think about those things you're you're always hustling your behind off and you're always trying to look for opportunities and get into spaces that you know where doors were usually closed luckily enough you know after six years some of those doors have gotten open gotten opened by you know amazing people in the industry who have co-signed us and understand that we do really quality work but that struggle is still very, very, very real. <laughs> uh, and and part of this uh, this announcement that or this well really this like funding drive for Spawn on Me has been also uh -huh. wanting to to bring on more people of color, writers and creators, and it's effectively like a mentorship uh, or or at least giving people a more established people a platform. And yep. I think that historically that's always played a, a role in in. Uh, writers like that coming back for more and not dishing an industry for something with greener pastures or, or more accessibility. Um, what, what does that kind of vision look for you guys look like for you guys when you're thinking about like, who do we want to bring on? How do we want to help them? I mean, it's, it's a multi-layered attack in, in a lot of ways where again, it kind of speaks to that conversation about, you know, owning your brand about being bigger than just the show. Um, you know, I'm inspired every day by what the folks at Kinda Funny are doing. I, I, we brought them up a couple times, but seeing what Greg and that crew have done, I would love to see a version of that that was all people of color mm -hmm. facing. Um, I want to be able to, to do that work. I want to figure out a way to make that happen it's in some form or fashion. Um, cause I think that it's important. I remember very specific people who grabbed me by the hand and at you know, industry events like, uh, East or, 
you know, Sean Alexander Allen, who has Treachery and Beatdown City coming out soon on Switch. Like, he literally grabbed my hand, walked me around to numerous people at my first E3 and said, Khalif has a really dope show. You need to go listen to it. And off the cosign of him and other people, you know, other people in the industry that, that, that I think about, Sterling McGarvey, who's doing uh, consultancy work now, he was, he was working for a bunch of outlets and he, you know, took me aside numerous times and said, hey, these are the things that you need to do to make sure that you're viable in this space and that people understand what you're doing, is, what you're doing is dope. Those people, you know, opened so many doors for me. And I feel like the, the best thing that you can do if you're in this space is not close doors behind you. If you're closing doors behind you, you need to leave. It's not the space yeah. for you. You need to be opening doors for everybody else behind you um, and to your sides. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like everybody is, you know, we're not at the forefront. We're, at, we're walking with other people locked arms to try to move things forward. And if you're not, you know, bigging those people up or you're not, you know, shouting them out or giving them purview into stuff that, you know, they may not know about, then you're doing this. You're doing the industry a disservice, and you're doing your community a disservice because there are so many dope folks that just don't have the means or don't have the ability to get in front of people. And it's the only way that this industry works. This industry is so small; people don't <laughs> understand just how small. No, I, I'm constantly fascinated by if I ever get like a, a an angry email or or a Twitter DM or something that's just like we're going to run you out of town and be like, I think I have more friends than you. And you don't, th and you don't know how, mm -hmm. how small this industry is. And like, and w what I've been, what I've tried to do for years, you know, making good friends with everybody. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a cheap shot, but like the, the, the example I think of when someone mentions, you know, shutting a door behind you is uh, we, we had Philip Myusen at IGN and yeah, his, his, of course, the big problem that like dragged him out was plagiarism. But in a way that was, very much shutting a door behind him where he he felt the time and effort it would take to to create his own piece of content like what was it it was a uh it was a review of the metroidvania game but i can't remember right. dead cells i can't think of it and either. uh yes. and thinking and i remember listening to dan Riker on, on giant beast cast getting real no it was the Bombcast end of the year review uh, hearing Dan Riker get real damn angry about that because he's like, do you know how many people work their ass off to get where you got? And like, you're going to throw that yes. away. And clearly, yes. I, I think clearly it says something that like the vast majority uh, of people who worked with or like knew him or were adjacent to him kind of very quickly washed their hands of him because I think that oh, yeah. means he may not have spent as much time as he, as he should have opening up doors for people and building others around him up right yeah i mean the other side of that is i i before any of this other stuff happened before spawn me was a thing before spool point blog was a thing i was a fan of the industry i'm still a fan yeah. of the industry like i'm a huge fan of video games and i'm a, a huge fan of all the people who take their hard-earned college dollars <laughs> or non-college dollars and make entertainment for us because they love it too. Like, I feel like I have a, and I feel like when you talk about closing doors and, and opening for others, there's a level of reverence for, you know, not only the time in which I grew up in the gaming industry, even, you know, before all this other stuff happened, but knowing now, just like 
getting to be in the same room with brilliant mm-hmm. people who could be doing anything else with their brains and time, you have to give people mad respect for what they're doing. Like, I know that there's a space right now where everything is like the sky is falling and everything is terrible about games. I understand that, right? But on the other end of that, there are so many brilliant human beings who are taking the time to make things that you hopefully enjoy. Absolutely. That is a very interesting and, and, and like small niche of people. It's not that many people making the stuff that you love. It's a lot of folks when you amass everybody together. But even then, the folks who you see as the innovators, the folks who are the, the, the big thinkers, the folks who are the people who are, you know, putting the concepts together to, to give you that 40 hours of joy. You have to give those people like massive amount of props. There are so many doctorates in the gaming industry that can be trying to oh my cure God. cancer. There's so many people who can be doing other things besides making things for you so that you can curse them out on the internet. Like, don't do that. I, uh, I, 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 the first industry event I went to was GDC 2015. Um, I've got the hoodie still. Yep. It's one of my favorite hoodies uh, from the gift shop. Great gift shop, by the way. And yes. I remember I, I've, I've said the story before, even on this podcast a few times, but like I've generally cried pretty much every GDC I go to one part because like imposter syndrome hits and I'm just everyone's emotionally exhausted by Wednesday. And, and yeah, yes. but also then like <laughs> more often than not, I'll go to the award show and the, the story I tell is that I saw the tribute video to Iwata uh, after he died and the, the famous phrase, on my business card, I'm a president to my family, I'm a dad, in my heart, I'm a gamer. And mm-hmm. seeing developers, like a, a few thousand developers stand up around me in that big ballroom and like cheering this on. And then also like other years, it was like, you know, shit talking gamer gates and, and like voicing yeah. support for, you know, marginalized communities. Uh, every time it tells me I'm like right where I am. And that's why I hope to like never miss a GDC, even if I have like no logistical reason for going Um, just cause like, (laughs) uh, wow, what a, what a time. GDC, GDC is my favorite conference. Like I know a lot of people, you know, who are on the outside of the industry are like E3 is the, is the best thing Mm -hmm. on the planet. I wish that there was a way that people could go to GDC for a day. I don't know how it would ever work in, in, in real logistical ways because it would probably be terrible. But it is the one conference that I went to for the first time and it changed my outlook on everything else that I thought about vi- the video game yeah. industry. Changed the way that I talked to developers, changed the way that I thought about games, changed the way that I thought about the process of how magical it is that we actually get games out in the world. Like changed so many different aspects of how I thought about this hobby and pastime that I have that I am forever indebted to the magical people on PR on the PR <laughs> side who got me my first media pass to go to, to go to GDC because it absolutely changes the way that you think about the process. And the process is a very difficult one for everyone. It changes depending upon where you are. It depends on what company you're at, but getting from concept to actual game coming out and then having to market that game and then having to, you know, build upon that game. We live in great times. It's a weird thing when people are like, everything is terrible. I understand that. But like, I'm lucky enough to be old enough to have some perspective on what it used to be like and to where we are Hmm. now. 
I remember games that had no faces. We had dots on a screen. Yeah. I'm that old. I'm 40. I turned 40 last year, so it's like you know, I'll be. 40 you can't get great representation with uh, dots on a screen. But I, I mean, you could. It would be like two brown dots that are t- t- <laughs> kind of next to each other, <laughs> different shades of whatever 256. But it's like having that perspective to say, like, look, this is how far we've come in this very short amount of time. The gaming industry is about as old as me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like to understand that that is a part of where we are and to see what we've gotten, you have to give people in that space massive amounts of props for wanting to jump in this, especially now with seeing the way that social media has turned, the way that the conversations from the gaming uh, uh, public has turned, the consumers has turned into this really uh, antagonistic thing for the people and against the people who are making the things just so you'll have something to enjoy. It's mind boggling that that's become the, the, the back and forth. But GDC, I'm with you fully. It's the best conference to ever go to. I think, and you just raised an interesting point there too, is uh, there is a, a subsection of, and I want to stress that that word, like a subsection of the, the gaming industry uh, or culture rather that is hostile to marginalized voices being expressed or or mm-hmm. having that lens be the the lens that we look at uh AAA or AA games or even indie games um to me I think of like conversations I've had with people like Steven Spawn available gamers uh where yep. there's a lot of calls for the the tastemakers and the the power players in the industry to um, uh, use their weight to push against that and say like you can have that that vitriolic opinion uh, but we're going to push ahead with this this progressive thing because we know down the road it'll be much more important than any Twitter fight or any any like social media campaign right right yeah I mean in the grand scheme I, I always have to step back before I hit enter on a terrible tweet <laughs> and say, what's the perspective here? And does it, does it really make that big difference in the, in the, in, in the way that things are going to move? And I've become way more patient, not with those, that subsection of folks. Cause I think those people are terrible, but I feel like it has made me more, patient with folks who I know who are frustrated in the space who want to rally against you know reasonable thought right so it's like you have the folks who are in the industry who are doing their job trying to make good trying to make good stuff because I don't think any developer ever wakes up and is like I want to make a shitty game no one does that and you have this other grouping of folks who are outside of that circle who are ignorant of the process feel like you know, we have been given this really interesting co- uh, concept that the buyer is always right, mm. which I don't believe in, um, because you can be right, but you can also be an asshole, um, <laughs> or you can be wrong and yeah. be an asshole. Um, and there's this really big schism between the, the two sides where there isn't a lot of conversation happening because there is an entitlement from the consumer side of the fence often that makes it seem like the people who are on that other side of the fence who are making things don't have their best interests at heart. And that's not true. That's the thing that is false 
99% of the time, there is a vast amount of people who are making games who care even more than the consumer about the experiences that they have. They wouldn't do the work that they do. They wouldn't spend the time and effort and money to make those things happen. And also the consumer in a really interesting space has way more access than any other consumer, especially games consumers, have way more access to the people who make the stuff that they like than any other industry that I've mm -hmm. ever seen. You can't go to the cat who made your car and be like, you fucked up this car. You can try. You'll never meet You will be people. yelling at a faceless like Hyundai Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like you can go to whatever, you can find whatever developer and spit whatever terrible things or good things at those people and they will more than likely probably respond to you because they care about you as a person as a player as a person who is you know doing that customer support mm -hmm. work and doing that work of being connected to their communities i think i lost your main question but it, i'm it, having fun it, regardless <laughs> yeah but 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 it goes back to the conversation of just like you know how do you how do you bridge that gap between the folks who don't understand the process. And I think it's one of the things that is the most difficult challenge in the gaming industry right now. And it's the question I wanna ask every developer that I ever talk to is like, we know that there's this big knowledge gap. Do you think that you sharing the information that you know in the, in the process of how it works will make those folks who are in that space be not as toxic as they currently are? I, I think that there's a part of just social media structure that just lends to it because there is this availability. But I also feel like there is a part of that consumerism that doesn't want to know how the soup mm -hmm. is made. They just want mm -hmm. the soup. And that's a problem. Like that's a big part. That's a big problem in the industry. Again, it's like people who care about the industry, they take the time to be patient about it. And they take the time to like put themselves in that other person's shoes. But the folks who are just like, I gave you $60, so give me perfection. Those, that group of folks are, are mad. It's, it's madness. It's an unreasonable expectation. And that's the thing that every developer is fighting. Every dev is fighting unrealistic expectations from a consumer base that doesn't necessarily want to. Let me ask you too, uh, one of one of my favorite parts of going to GDC, and I think maybe, yeah, maybe all those toxic people should have that like one free day at GDC to to let that wash over them. But I got to wonder, so one of my favorite parts of GDC is meeting developers from marginalized communities and just seeing like the different kinds of games that they're making and like maybe they follow a similar structure to some other games, but like the 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 character is is all of them. I'm, I'm interviewing, I'm hopefully interviewing uh, the Indian developers behind Raji, uh, which, yeah, yes. that was at ID at Xbox, which I think maybe, did you go to this last GDC? No, no, I missed it. I was super oh, sad that I missed sad it too. Year. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's like an Indian god of war. Uh, but like indie, you know, certainly like modest compared to like what Sony Santa Monica could ever achieve. But it seems like right. they're infusing a lot of their own character. So when you uh, meet a developer uh, who's in uh, who's a part of the the you know that community. Do they respond to you uh, more openly or do they do they what what do those interactions look like when perhaps because of a shared background, you can understand like where they're coming from with their artistic intent? I, f I feel like the beauty of being kind of in like spaces 
is you just have that common vernacular, right. right? It's like you just have an ability to bypass some of the initial, I'm not going to use the word niceties because it's not the word, but it's like the, you can bypass some of the formalities mm-hmm. of the like, so how do you, you know, what did you do here? And how did you get to this point? And what, did, you know, what were some of the processes? And you, and it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing, especially when it comes to um, lots of black folk. And it's, this is going to sound terrible, but it is this weird common language that I feel like a lot of us have in that community where we already know a lot of the outside struggles that we all deal with on a daily basis. So you can commiserate in some of those spaces when you first meet. It's not a first thing that you talk about. Like you don't walk up on another black person like, so how's that racism treating you today? It's not one of those things. But it is one of those things where it's like, I remember very specifically growing up in the Bronx when I was, uh, you know, in my young days in the early 80s, right? And one of the most beautiful things about my old my old neighborhood was everyone that you would see, you would give them like the head nod, right? You'd be like, yo, what's up? And everybody would in kind, you know, reciprocate, right? And it feels like that when you get into spaces with, with like-minded folks and people who understand your, your culture and people who understand, you know, some of the parts of your background that you can bypass some of those things and get to the meat of a conversation really quickly. You can get to the meat of, um, you know, where the, the, the things that resonate within the thing that they're making might've come mm-hmm. from. It's why one of the best parts of GDC is the, the stuff that they do with the blacks in, in gaming and blacks at Xbox event. You know, when you get into that event, everyone in that space has a very common kind of touch point, a very common foundation. And once you are in that space, it feels like family, even if you've never met folks before, because that whole, that commonality is there. You, you're, you already know the language. You already know, you know, that you don't have to code switch in those spaces. You can just be yourself and not have to think about it's it. It's funny. It's funny. You um, mentioned that. So too. It, it works that way. Oh, in sorry. Games too. Uh, no, it just works that way in games. It's funny you mentioned that because like Aiden, I, I had her on two or three weeks ago uh, and she she was part of the women at Xbox, women women and game changers by Xbox uh, scholarship program. And yeah. uh, she had a lot of similar things to say about that. Um, I suppose that here in the last like kind of leg that we've got, let's switch back a little bit to like strictly spawn on me stuff. Um, yeah. I'm very curious, like... I, we we here at the 1099 family we just cracked a thousand twitter followers and i'm i'm very privileged to have come into this after josiah spent like two and a half years uh really you know chugging along at it um and i know i think you were like one of the first maybe like 50 guests he had on uh yep Mm -hmm. and i gotta ask you know from from your perspective how as a podcaster or maybe even a person who engages with other podcasts or other or other you know channels. Uh, how do you foster a community, and how do you how do you grow one uh, relatively consistently so you don't feel like you're stuck in a rut? Because that's certainly something that I've Whew. looking down a long road ahead of me. I'm kind of like, okay, I've got to like I've got to make myself a mission statement. I've got to do this, this, and this to make sure that I feel like I'm progressing the show and not like making it stagnate. Yeah, I mean, oof. That is that is the ten million dollar question, and it and it, and it it changes. Interestingly enough, like you will, the the good thing is that you have a good foundation in the show, and you also have a fantastic foundation in the work that you do. You do fantastic work, 
So it makes a lot of that stuff infinitely easier because you're not learning on the fly mm -hmm. as much. You know what I mean? You've been able to, to, to interview people and, and, and have those conversations. So you have your own personal flow that you already understand and know. Now it's just fitting it into a format of a show, right? And making sure that you're continuing to do that part. For us, it was a little bit more difficult in that way because we didn't know what we wanted the show to be mm -hmm. yet. It took us probably two years to figure that out where we didn't know. We were like, all right, so we want to be this really fun, rambunctious, hip hop -y kind of show. Like we had a whole section of initial, uh, initial episodes that were kind of a hybrid of conversations uh, mixed with uh, music, mixed with, you know, we tried to do a little bit of funny comedy stuff and that never really worked because none of us are funny. <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Uh, but it was one of those things where, you know, we didn't know what our voice was until we made that mission statement, until we had some very, um, uh, 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 I kind of call them our, our classic shows where we had guests that, you know, weren't going to other shows, but were coming to ours, you know, because they knew that the conversations we were having were different and they weren't just the like, so what do you do in the industry conversation? It wasn't that. It was like, what makes you tick? And also you are a person of color in this space what are the things that no one knows about you that you can share with other mm -hmm. people? And that changes a lot of the way that we thought about how we wanted to do shows. And also it then honed where we wanted to kind of stake our claim in terms of what we wanted our community to be. Uh, it moved a lot of things forward just through momentum and just through, you know, people co-signing us and people spreading the word, but it also really solidified itself. Once we really understood what our, what our, our, our go-to was and what made us special and what conversations we wanted to have and the reasons why we wanted to have those conversations with those specific people. Um, I, I've always thought about what we wanted to do in terms of, you know, format and also, you know, what the initial goals were to be very different. Like in the beginning shows in the first hundred to 150 shows or whatever, it, the whole idea was to we have to get the biggest named folks that we possibly can as early as possible, even if we suck, just to say that we can have them on the show and that that raises our, our visibility. All that with the intent to come back if we lasted long enough to be able to pull up folks who may not have been heard before so that they had a platform where people could actually hear about what they're doing. So it, we did it in reverse. We wanted to do it in reverse. And that was that was intentional we wanted to get high profile folks so that we could remember that back in the day you know if you only made your first game or you were only had you only had you know 20 or 30 twitter followers or social media followers that you were going to have a space here with us and you could have those conversations and then grow mm -hmm. your grow your media and grow your channel and grow your 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 statistics up in the way that you could off the backs of you know our platform because that's what that's the the biggest part like that's the best part about doing these shows is seeing folks that we had early early on do really well like i remember we had a um, uh, uh brandon stennis on who's been doing fantastic work uh, i am brandon tv now he was ugr gamer before um and he's gone on i'm not gonna say that we launched his career because that's that's terrible and gross because he was already doing dope stuff already but like i remember specifically after he was on the show that like he did a whole bunch of other stuff and I was like, that's fantastic that we were able to say that we had him on our yeah. show early, you know, when he was getting getting his feet really wet in, into what the space was. 
and I feel like we've been able to surface really good conversations and we've been able to, to bring on guests that, you know, are really important and also pull out sides of people that, you know, maybe the industry hadn't seen before. I remember very specifically, you know, having the conversation with Evan Narciss in, on like our 50th show about, you know, his article that he did about black hair. I remember you know, that. It was like monument. It was monumental for our show, but it was also one of those conversations that you couldn't hear anywhere else because no one else in the industry could make that conversation happen in a real way. They just don't have the vocabulary. It would have been like me asking you just like very forward facing questions about like, well, tell me how that makes you feel. Tell me how that makes you feel. Right. You couldn't have that, right. that, uh, that black to black kind of conversation. Yeah. The, the common knowledge part means a bunch. It means a lot, you know, and being able to, to, to surface that stuff just ingratiates you to other folks. Like, I think that, you know, one of the things I, I pride myself on when it comes to what we do is it's actually kind of comes back to code switching is the fact that we can have really smart conversations and nuanced conversations with everybody because we understand, you know, what that what those experiences are in many, many ways. Like, of course, there are things that are out of our sphere and things that we don't that we don't personally live through and, and experience. But I feel like the ability to say that, you know, we have gone through struggles in our personal life gives us the ability to be more nuanced and to be more empathetic and to be more sympathetic um, and be able to talk about things in a way that isn't just what you usually hear from every cis het white podcast. You know what I mean? Like we see enough of that conversation happen. And to be honest, there isn't a lot of meat there. We can have that conversation. We could do that yeah. show. A lot easily. of people, a lot of people you end up I mean? doing that show, and then it's like, well, fine, you have another gaming podcast. But what do you, what are you bringing new yeah. to the table? Yeah, yeah. I was like, we could do that show easily. That's an easy show to do. The stuff that we do is harder for yeah. a reason, and we want it to be harder because we want to surface good conversations and stuff that you don't get. So we're trying, we're trying to make that that part happen. But it is very difficult, especially now, to grow a channel or grow a podcast because it's so, so saturated. But if you can find that niche and speak to an audience in a way that feels genuine and you understand it, then you have your way ahead of the game. I think that's, that's something that I've had to like think a lot about as I learn what I want the 1099 to be. And I've, I've waxed poetic about it plenty already, but I, not to slag on Josiah, but like a lot of it, a lot of it early on, I, I joke about it with him. I'm like, shit, man, you already interviewed like everybody in the game's media. <laughs> like, I, I'm literally like asking people to come back on the show, which is fine. That's that's an understandable, doable thing. Yeah, of course. But also, you can only have those conversations. Like, if they have like one conversation to have, I can't have that conversation again. Which is why, like, before we started recording this, I'm like, "Hey, are these are these questions, you know, uh, varied enough and different enough that, like, you know, I don't want to, you know, treat you as the as the PR for a big swath of people." But uh, yeah. I think that's maybe why, as I go along, I I perhaps am not as afraid of like doing a show with like a really indie developer if they have an interesting perspective to talk about, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Raji is is the current like on my mind example because that'll be coming up probably like I'll probably be recording that next week um, and releasing it after our 200th episode and I don't know those people I've never heard I, I didn't hear the game before GDC and I'm sure a lot of people still haven't heard about the game uh, it's been doing like perfectly 
normal to like average like hey here's a trailer like post it on the IGN YouTube channel that's like a minute mm-hmm. long but I really want to hear from those people like what it's like to develop a game in India and and the kinds of things that they're infusing into their game even if that only gets a thousand instead of two or like mo- most 1099 podcasts after like a month of existence they'll have like 2,000 downloads uh, it, even yeah. if that one only gets like half of that I think that'll be an audience well served well, I think the beauty of it, too, is, you know, like, of course, we're all metrics chasers, yeah. right? In the podcast game, we're always trying to figure out how to grow numbers. But I feel like the beauty of what 1099 has has been and in, in, in will be under under your amazing oh, tutelage you. uh, comes from this curiosity, right? And I feel like that's the beauty of the industry is that there are so many folks in this industry that have cool stories to tell but we're so busy kind of pushing towards marketing and kind of pushing towards influencers and pushing towards a lot of these segments. And even in those places, there's lots of stories to be told, Mm. but if you don't come to it with a genuine curiosity for not just the thing that they've made, but the person behind it, that's where people attach themselves to you. I honestly, when I talk to people about their game, I already know what their game is. Yeah. There are very few games at this point that I'm just like, well, what's this new thing I didn't hear about? And you're going to surprise me about the thing. And it's going to do something very different than anybody else has done. Most of those stories are gone. There's not going to be a lot of those stories anymore. So for me, my whole thing is like your motivation to get into this industry that you have seen be gross to so many people. There's a story behind mm-hmm. that. There's a there's an angle behind that conversation that probably not a lot of people have heard it what makes you special and that will then make your game special to other people and i feel like that's the formula that a lot of folks who have figured that out have been able to do it's the reason why daniel dwyer is so good at what he does it's the reason why jeff gersman is so good at what he does those are people who i still look up to to this day to be like you have figured out a way to source these these stories and pull these conversations out of people in a way that very few people can do because you can hear it in every piece of content that they put out, that they are genuinely curious about the motivation. And once that motivation is found, then they have meat on the bone that they can dig into other parts. I'm always struck by uh, D- Danny O'Dwyer is like the, the perfect example of that. Uh, but also Jeff Gersman, when he does his like E3 couch interviews, uh, oh my God. he like, it's funny because like on the bomb cast, he'll be a little abrasive you know he's he's just a, he's yep. a smart alecky guy and that's that's fine that's funny and that's endearing um but man when he's on that e3 couch with like someone who he doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily have an immediate rapport with he manages to drag rapport out of them and uh there have been like very few times i've ever felt like the person he's talking to on that couch feels like a fish out of water or like a little uncomfortable or anything but yeah oh yeah he's 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 brilliant at that part of the game right and he's learned with the foundation of having this encyclopedic knowledge (laughs) of so many things in the industry he also you can tell gets people in a very specific way like it's interesting to see jeff over the years because i feel like jeff is probably more than likely a huge introvert like most most people in the industry Mm -hmm. like the huge introverts are the folks who usually kind of get the best stuff out of people because they understand that one, they don't want to waste people's time. And two, they feel like intimate conversations are actually more important than the like 
uh, a big overarching like oh so what's the game about like most people who are introverts really care about the inner you as opposed to the outer you anyway when they are not afraid of talking to people yeah right? <laughs> but but it's but he but but Jeff has figured out a way over his over his career to do that work while still being funny while still being entertaining while still being able to understand how the pinpoints connect within the industry and being able to do that without being you know like a know-it-all in a lot of ways mm -hmm. right he still is very down to earth in that way i remember seeing him at, at a mortal Kombat event and i've met jeff like three times or whatever and I'm lucky enough to have been on the giant bomb couch once right and just his ability to like get past all the fluff stuff and just see you which is something that i think a lot of people don't have as a talent is something that you know when he decides to not do gaming stuff anymore will be amazingly and sorely missed in this space like i think that he's brilliant in the way that he does all that stuff and and again like when you find that those parts of the conversations are happening it just lends to better content it lends to people attaching themselves to you as a human being and you as a person and not just the show the brand or the game and I felt a very uh, personal connection to you uh, at, at, I think it had to have been the third or fourth day of GDC. I split my pants open <laughs> and just like Khalif there on that E3 couch, I was like, thinking of you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I still think about that moment often. Like it, it, it's good to set goals for yourself, right? And it's good to dream. Like I don't think a lot of people I know a lot of people dream. I think that there's a very different set of dreams that happens when you are out of the industry as opposed to when you're in mm -hmm. it. And those out of industry dreams, those kind of come to fruition. I still sit back and I talk to my wife and I'm just like, I can't believe that that was a thing I got to do. Yeah. Like I sat in this chair talking to these people who no one else out of the gaming industry gives a shit about. But those people are like in pantheons for me. And I'm just like, I got to talk to and sit in front of and around these people, this person, this person, and like chop it up with them in a really like just normal human to human way. And that's the best part of the industry. The best part of this that is like getting to be around really smart, really brilliant people all the time who are actual humans who have actual stuff in their lives. And once you don't talk about games, that's when the best conversations happen. So it's like, that's the best part is like getting to know people as people and bypass the, the gaming stuff. Of like, of course, I, there's people in my 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 my, my uh, bucket list that I still want to get on the show, and, and and make sure that that happens. But having conversations in the hotel lobby at at eleven o'clock at night, that's when the best conversations happen, man. That's the best time. I literally I literally led Tim Schaefer to the GDC press room because he was like looking around like a lost dog, and it was like that's that's great anyway uh right. and also i'm gonna get mimosas with uh the voice actress of for wonder woman of the last 18 years like someone who defined my cartoon childhood um she Damn literally right. she literally is like yo let's hang out when you get to la oh, uh that's so dope but uh yeah so I, as far as the future of spawn on me uh what are we we've got the funding drive and people should i'll be yep. including a link in the soundcloud and i'll be tweeting that out from the uh, account as the show goes up um but is there any other way that people can support uh, you know a community like spawn on me and is there anything that you are like looking most towards in the future um this would be the perfect time to tweet out my soundcloud link no i'm just playing yeah. um 
<laughs> but honestly, there's a couple of ways you can support us. Of course, the, the GoFundMe is 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 up and running. Um, you can do that over at uh, GoFundMe.com slash help dash spawn dash on dash me. Uh, a lot of dashes in there, but um, you can usually find us there in terms of our larger goal for fundraising. And again, you know, the number is is a big number. It's a 17K goal, but that goal is funding us for 2019 and 2020 for all the all the shows that we want to go to. That's all the major shows. That's E3, TwitchCon, PAX, West and East. Uh, I don't think we we're going to hit South, but we we may if we get the funding. And besides just hitting those shows and doing coverage at those shows for all three of us being able to get there, because it is very expensive to ship three people out to a show. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to do that work of hiring people in those communities at those shows to say, hey, we need camera people. We need folks to help us, you know, record things. We want to we want to have our own version of our giant bomb couch like that is a dream of mine mm-hmm. that we can do a version of that. Like I remember Waypoint doing it some years ago, the giant bomb doing that, but coming from us would be something entirely different. And I feel like that's the thing is the 17 K is not just about like, we need some extra funding in our, in our coffers, which, which, you know, there'll be some padding in there for us. But if this is a, this is the last couple of years of stretch where we're like, we have done a lot of work. We've done massive amounts of charity work with spawn for good. We've done, Lots of things where, you know, there are very few shows that have people of color who are getting the guests that we're getting and having those conversations. And we want to dream big, too. We want to be able to say that we can do some things that we've always wanted to in big ways that hopefully not only just push our show forward, but push the industry forward. So that's one way you can support us. Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash spawn on me is another way Uh, we're going to be adjusting some of our tiers as well uh in the next couple of weeks actually so we're going to be doing some some work over there and of course like listening to the show and, and and sharing information about what we do is always super important um to make sure that the visibility is there and that you know numbers mean a lot when it comes to the podcasting game and the content creation space so the more numbers you can throw at a company to say help, help sponsor us for you know e3 or help sponsor us for twitchcon that stuff actually seriously matters in in very tangible ways um so that's that's most of the ways you can you can find out you know ways to help support us on the monetary front but again like shouting us out to people on twitter that you want to see on the show like that's huge you know that's the thing that giving your oxygen be doing it's like have your yeah have your community advocate for you it's a huge part of the deal you know what i mean like we, I'm still trying to get Sean Layden and Phil Spencer on the show. Shout those people out. Tell them that you want to see it. It might just work. It's the way we got Adam Sester on the show when we first got him on the show. It was like I was like, "Hey, Adam, yeah, person you don't know, exactly. we'd love to have you on the show." And people and people shouted at him, and and then you know magically there was a cosign behind the scenes, and it worked. So you know it's always about you know you advocating for your community and having your and having your community advocate for you in good ways is the way that things move. Well, Khalif, I hope that as Spawn on Me continues and as you reach, continue to reach for your aspirations, uh, I hope many more doors are open for you. And I hope that, you know, uh, lots of people get to go through the doors that you leave open behind you. Fam, I, first of all, thank you so much for having me, having me on the show. Have me back on the 1099. Hell yeah. You, you have been doing fantastic work. Oh, man. thank you. I, 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 this is not me blowing smoke. I've seen the pieces of writings you've been doing. I've seen this. I've listened to the shows. 
you're doing fantastic work in this space. You're Josiah you, did not leave you this show to, 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 to did not leave the show in, in, in bad hands. He has definitely made sure that the person who was going to take up those reins was, was, was killing it. So, you know, I, I want the best for you and I want to see you do magical things in this, in this space and F it. We're going to get some mimosas at the next show too. Fuck yeah. That's the way we're going to do it. Hell yeah. Most mimosa time. And we're going to make it happen. You, me and wonder woman. Yes. <laughs> we have to figure it out. <laughs> All right, folks. Every week you can find a new episode of the 1099, uh, every Monday morning, rather. And uh, the week after this episode, you're going to, like we've been talking, uh, Susan Eisenberg, the voice of Wonder Woman for the past 18 years running in all the uh, Justice League animated series and movies, was a great talk with her. I actually interviewed her before Khalif. So this has been a long Friday, and I'm going to go to bed. Actually, I'm going to go play Overcooked with my my partner. Uh, (laughs) But Khalif, man, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thank you so, so much. And and shout out to everybody in 1099 fam uh, you've always been great to us and and we love all the things that you're all doing so anytime that we can cross collaborate we're always down